Hi, everyone, and welcome back to RPG R&D. I am one of your hosts, Jess Geyer. I am a an RPG designer. Last episode, Craig said something about, shouldn't need to say a tabletop designer. I'm a tabletop RPG designer. <laughs> uh, and I'm one half of Wannabe Games, and I'm here with my aforementioned co-host, Craig Campbell. Hi, Craig. Hi, I'm Craig, um, and I'm the owner of Nerdburger Games, and I am a role-playing game designer of the tabletop variety. And uh, we're here with a guest as well, Matthew Orr from Wet Ink Games. Hi, Matt. Hello, Craig. Hello, Jess. I am indeed Matthew Orr from Wet Ink Games. Uh, I also am, surprisingly enough, a tabletop role-playing game designer uh, and, uh, I guess, publisher because I've uh, published other people's designs. we we at wedding games have so like yeah it's uh i'm glad to be on the podcast again (laughs) yeah thanks for joining us the the smallest of big leagues i'm i'm moving (laughs) beyond just designing into also publishing indie rpgs (laughs) you're you're on your way to becoming the next jeff bezos and we can't be friends after that (laughs) journey of a thousand steps begins with a single publication i guess i don't know <laughs> <laughs> uh what about what about the journey of a thousand um, game sessions craig what are what are our topics for today oh boy um we're talking uh, starting out with recruiting players um like before you can even play right gotta have players otherwise you're just telling a story to the wall or the cat or whoever's listening. So, uh, yeah. And, and there's, there's a lot of kind of different ways to approach this, but we'll just be kind of talking a little bit about like how you go about finding players. If you're ready to, um, start up a new game and GM for the first time, or you've moved to a new place. Um, you don't really know anybody, uh, um, or if you're dealing with online, um, trying to pull an online group together, there's lots of different, uh, things to deal with. So, what, back in the day, I'm going to start this time. Back in the day, you found players at high school or college or the game store where there would literally be you know, the piece of paper on the wall with looking for players and the little tear off piece with a phone number, um, which was a seven digit phone number because everybody was in the same zip code and nobody had to dial zip codes or not zip code, uh, area codes. But yeah, that that's changed a lot. I, I haven't recruited players via a game store or uh uh institution of learning for some time where do you all i mean did that just to put that aside though like just there, there are certainly game stores and you know uh, clubs at schools and mm-hmm. universities um still are very valid places to go to um where you'll find people who are uh, very interested in all of that sort of thing because if you're involved in a club you're probably very much into it um or at least interested in exploring it um and if you're posting up at a game store you know you uh you know where the game store is so that's good and uh you know looking for people in the area because usually that's going to be people that are going to be you know meeting at the game store or meeting somewhere near that game store i mean it people still definitely do find like players at game stores and all of that um and I'm, i'm just thinking about like how recently it was for me that i i like i started i found a group from a game store although that group fizzled out pretty quickly just because of um scheduling issues but uh for me uh you know it's a it's a matter of talking to the people around you you'd be surprised how many people you work with or already know play role-playing games uh and sometimes you can guess like sometimes you can look at a person and be like i bet you're a nerd you you have you have the nerd of you know you have the look about you <laughs> you say you say things that i think might be a reference to something um and uh, you know you can start to pinpoint that but even people who don't have um like you'd be surprised it's so ubiquitous now um so many people playing role playing games um from from all sorts of facets of life uh so for me it's a matter of asking around and that's a little easier because in education I think that there's just a higher proportion of nerds. Uh, and I, again, I say that in the most endearing terms possible as a nerd myself, proud one. Uh, I, I, I think it's just easier for people who, I mean, it's so easy. Like if you're a student, like you said, Craig, 
you, you find those clubs and you're in. It's so easy to make friends when you're young and, and <laughs> no kidding. You have no responsibilities. <laughs> you can spend however much time you want um, meeting other people and hanging out with them. Um, and then like the, the next closest thing is, is work. So for me, that's how it turned out. Yeah. I, I'll share my, I don't know that I have any great advice on this um, because, you know, um, I used to have a game group that started, I mean, it's still going, but I, I, I stepped away from it for about a year now. Um, but I mean, it was just Monday night was the game, the game group. It had gone on like, it started in like 2009. So like, I mean, it's wow. Monday night is like Monday night is for role-playing games and, and has been for a long time. And um, so I didn't, I didn't have to look for a group. Um, but since I stepped away from that particular group, I have, uh, yeah, it is harder to find it now that I'm a, a dusty old uh, curmudgeon <laughs> that lives in uh, this room and, uh, you know, of course, the uh, pandemic times have not helped the situation either. Um, Absolutely not. The most recent game that I organized, I put it on a Discord and I was like, hey, anybody want to play a Krampus-themed game on Krampus Knocked? <laughs> and I had three people that were like, ooh, yes. And then one of them had to back out at the last minute for work. So we had a two, one GM, two-player game. Uh, rather spontaneously conducted uh just within the discord um for wedding games the wedding games discord um but that was the most recent one that i ran i just hey anybody here you're a bunch it's a subset of the subset right so it's like these are people who actually bothered to join a discord for a role-playing game company that they like enough to have the games of and it's like hey you want to play this specific game on this specific date and that's when I had availability to run it. And then I had two players. So we had fun. We had fun. Yeah. I think discord's like, that's one of the the best and fastest places right now to find players. I know that there was an app and I want to say it's called crawler. I just grabbed my phone to try to find it and I didn't find it. Although I had searched C W C R A W L R. I don't, this may have been something that I made up the name, but I know for sure that there was an app that was in development to be like a Tinder for gamers, oh, <laughs> but for finding I, games. Alex yeah. and I attended a, a game session doing that. It was a fun night. We went to some random person's house. Um, you know, we did what our parents told us never to do when we were young. We talked <laughs> to strangers and we entered their home and, <laughs> and played, played games with them. And it was fun. Um, I would love for that to be a thing, but here is my word of precaution. Uh, don't do what I did and just go to somebody's house. <laughs> that can be that can be a little bit dangerous, especially if you're by yourself. I was not. Um, but the what you were saying, Matt, reminds me of like my long-term game group, where like, you know, I just stepped away from, you know, it's been about half a year for me. Uh I met them because I posted on a Facebook group and someone saw that I was looking for a game group and they contacted me and we met at a Panera to talk first, not to play games, not to make it, not for a session zero, anything like that. It was like, okay, are you a, you're a human being who doesn't want to murder me? Cool. Me too. Let's, let's do this. Now we can exchange some more personal details, like my address. Uh, I think that it's just like, it's like the date rules. You never want to go on a date first date with someone that you don't know in their apartment. Right. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's, that's <laughs> um, and that's fair. Just, I mean, just in general safety terms, but also in um, like, well, I'll put, I'll couch it in, in my experience, which is I started gaming in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, and you can't swing a dead cat in Wisconsin without hitting 20 gamers. They are everywhere. <laughs> and I'm not joking. D&D was invented in Southeast Wisconsin. There are gamers everywhere. Um, so it was not hard to find a group. I could find a group to play any type of game I wanted. I could, you know, we got a, a, a D&D group together that was like went for years. Um, and we even when we shifted games and played different things like that, that group, it, the, the, the composition of it changed a little bit. But it, like, you know, we, every Saturday afternoon, we were just gaming, gaming, gaming for a long time. Um, 
then I moved to Atlanta and uh, had to find gamers. And I was like, so desperate to just like, okay, I just got to find a group. I want to find some people to play with um, that. I went in with like, you know, just when people were you know looking for players, I found people like online and meetups and stuff. Meetup.com is kind of where I began. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not even sure how much of a thing that is anymore, but it, it was, it was 14 years ago. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, I just like agreed to be like, yeah, I'll come play, come play your game. And they invited me to their home. And it's like, like I did, it was, you know, at the same time, I'm a, you know, big, tall white dude. So not quite as dangerous. Um, but, you know, I also like didn't know these people at all. I didn't, I like knew next to nothing about them other than what we just exchanged online. And so I, you know, uh, went p- with one group. I played one session, didn't go back for any more because it just wasn't in the jiving for me with, there were two other groups that I played a few sessions each um, before I realized, nope, this is not the, the right group for me. And then eventually did find that group and became, you know, good long time, long-term, like over a decade friends with several people in that group. Um, so, you know, just doing things where you can spend some time to find the right group, get online, chat in forums, get on a video, you know, uh, 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 video call, uh, Zoom call, whatever, um, play a one shot online with them or in yeah. a store just to get a sense of like, okay, what are they, what kind of, you know, what's the, what's the dynamic of the game group? Like what, what are they, you jump into the game and it's like, oh, this is clearly like, these people are like hard down, super actory immersed in their characters. We're barely going to roll dice. Is that the type of game I want to play? Or, you know, oh, this group is like, they kind of affect an accent sometimes, but they mostly forget. And then mostly it's just like they play an adventure game where they're, you know, killing monsters and taking treasure. Um, and it, is that the kind the type of game that you want to get involved in playing. So spending a little bit of time, one shots are great for that just to get a sense. And also even beforehand, like just asking some questions, mm-hmm. like, you know, what kind of games do you, what, not just what are they playing now? Cause you're interested in seeing, you know, are you going to play that game, but find out what they played in the past. If that's all they've ever played, then it's very likely that's all they're ever going to play. Or at least it's going to be perhaps more difficult to shift them into playing another game down mm-hmm. the road. And you just need to be prepared for that. Um, if they talk about, oh, we, we, we're playing this right now, but we've played this and this and this and this and like, okay, well, that's a dynamic of the group. Are you prepared to change games every couple months? Um, if that's what you're looking for, or do you want to be playing one game for a year and a half? You know, you can get, you you can suss out a lot of that, um, with a little bit of discussion and just a few questions. It's very, it's very dating-esque. It's <laughs> like what Craig, what you said, like this, this kind of interview thing, like you yeah. got to get to know them and you have to be prepared to, you know, maybe you do one game with them and it's not, it's not going to work out. It's not you. It's me. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just not really a fit. Uh, I'm, I'm seeing someone else, all of that <laughs> good stuff. Um, yeah, I, I think be prepared for, for it to feel a little bit like it kind of is like dating. Cause then you're going to be spending a significant amount of time with these people and you don't want to spend time with them. Um, and then like you, you wasted time with some people who it turns out it's not going to, to be the best game for you. I think that's easier, but also harder at the same time with online games because with an online game, it's easier to find people because you have access to basically anybody who speaks your language and is also online at the same time as you. But it's harder because if you're in one of those Discord spaces and then you have to quote unquote break up with them, uh, they are still in that space and you are still in that space. And then then you're like, okay, hey guys, I want to find a new game. And like, they're going to know that you are also still actively searching. It's not like you can go search at a different bar it's like dating someone and then you break up and then you all, you both still share all the same friends <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and you never split the friends. Like, you know, the joke goes where like you take the, you take these friends with you, you take those friends with you. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know how unusual it is to have this, but here in Louisville, Kentucky, we have a group called, called nerd Louisville. And again, this is sort of like pre pandemic times. They used to meet, every Friday and every other Sunday for basically one shots. Well, it was one shots, but some people would run like, like five or six one shots in a row. 
So you would get like this kind of opportunity to do exactly what you've both been talking about. Like the, the one, the Friday nights were at a game store and the Sunday afternoons were at a bar slash performance venue um, that we would take over and run like six simultaneous uh, RPGs. And um, so I ran a bunch of stuff for that uh, over the years that it has gone on. Um, but there are people that that's like their that is their regular group. It meets every two weeks and they're always in, they had like a per, almost like a persistent, not a persistent world, but like you could take your character across games. So they had like their house rules of like a living, living campaign. Yeah. Like, well, it was, they called it the multiverse, I think. So sure. like, you know, your character is like every session of that. Like if you're, and there were people playing Dungeons and Dragons, right? So people playing Dungeons and Dragons, like bring their character and like, oh, I'm a ninth level rogue or whatever. And like, why am I suddenly joining you? And like, they would spend five minutes figuring out like what had happened since the last time that character had played that now they're part of this party and they would go on their, you know, four hour adventure together. And um, meanwhile, I'm over in the corner and I'm like, Hey, so I got this game called uh, Capers and you play <laughs> heroes in the twenties and uh, all you people that came too late and can't get into a D and D game. You're going to play this game over here with me now. <laughs> <laughs> there's so, uh i think those pla- those those places exist um a fair bit it's just finding them usually obviously in bigger cities where mm-hmm. there's um more of a population sure. to draw from to go regularly there's a place down here that um that does that it's that t- they meet at a tavern every month not so much you know lately um they're Wait, starting to get they back meet to it. at a tavern in they real meet life a, they meet at a tavern in a side room at a like a barn grill tavern um, and and they play and they and it's 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 geared uh, very much toward one shots like people just show like there's an organizer who makes sure there's always enough GMs um, and everybody shows up and and plays games. I mean, I, I, it's, this this meetup is how I met Owen, who has done graphic design and layout for Capers. Um, and uh, yeah, I, you know, and I, years ago, I haven't gone so much lately. Again, again, they they were kind of on hiatus for like a year and a half. Um, but uh, yeah, you, you can dig around and find those places. Um, and that might mean going to like looking at meetup.com and finding where mm-hmm. those types of things are posted for your, your area um, or going to, um, you know, some, some uh, uh, urban areas in particular will have like um, activity forum areas where they're like, that's something that the city or somebody that's like just dedicated to making sure that like, Hey, there's all sorts of cool stuff happening in this city. Let's make sure people know about it. And they just host a site that has forums and announcements. And you, you, you never know, you might be able to dig up people that are looking for role-playing games at one of those things. And then it's local and you can find a place that's like local to meet at a game store or at a restaurant or a tavern that will allow you to kind of go to a side table in the back of the house or something like that. And sit there yeah. for four hours and eat fries and drink, uh, you know, drink drinks that you buy there. And public libraries too are another yep. place. If you're playing during public library hours, for sure. Um, I've always liked the flexibility of being able to game in my own home though. Um, and because of that, I like poaching people from these meetup spaces to come to your home game. Um, <laughs> well, can, can seems a little evil, but I have done it. And I know a lot of people who have done the same thing. Like, oh, this this board game night that we have every Monday. Um, I really like this person who who's playing this game with me. I want to ask her if she wants to come play on our Monday games during the same time spot, but somewhere else. <laughs> also, as we, we, we've talked a lot about just generally finding a group and a lot of it was kind of uh, applicable to finding places to play as well. But, you know, if you're as a GM, if you're looking for players either to fill the group out or to find a group in general, um, you know, that discussion that like setting expectations, like letting the players know, like, what kind of game are you planning to run? If you're, and if you're open, if you're like, I just want to play one of these games, I've got like 10 and, you know, like, let's find people who are interested in these. And, you know, like, are we going to play it at like a serious game? Or are we going to play like a goofy comical version of the game? Or, <laughs> you know, if you're open to that sort of thing, make that known. And just like help, the players can help you kind of hone in on like what kind of game you're all going to play. If you have a very specific thing that you want to do, like I want to play this Call of Cthulhu game that's going to get really dark and it's going to, you know, it's going to be very moody and there will be no Monty Python jokes um, at the table, then you have to, you know, communicate that to the players and make sure that they're, they're up for that. Mm -hmm. I think too, like the time, the finding a time slot, 
again when I, <laughs> when I was young sure i sure. i could play until i could i could find plenty of people to play games with me until three in the morning on the on a weeknight uh that is not true anymore um people who like i'm not going to go play a bunch of tabletop games with teenagers that's not going to happen that's i'm not even going to really play with anybody who's under 21 probably uh it's just too young for me now yeah. to to like because it's like, it's like hanging out with kids Ugh. uh but if I want to play with people my own age, a lot of them have families now. They have job responsibilities. Not me, but them. Uh, and they won't play with me until three in the morning anymore. Um, so finding a time slot that works for the people um, in, the, in like the age range that you want to play with, that's important. And then saying, hey, this is a game at this time slot every week or every two weeks or however long it is. Give them that up front. And if they can't fit that schedule in, it's not going to work out anyway. You don't want to recruit somebody to your game. And it turns out that, yeah, it turns out only that one Monday that I asked them to play worked out because they had a random clear spot in their schedule. You want somebody who has that consistent schedule to be able to play with you regularly, if that's what you're looking for. Yeah. I think it, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say one of my friends, he works at a restaurant and so, yeah, I was talking to him one time about like trying to play a game together. And he's like, well, the earliest I could start is 11 p.m. And I'm like, the earliest you could st- I like, I'm in bed by then. Like, <laughs> I'm in bed long before that. <laughs> like, okay, man, I guess it's not going to work out because yeah. I cannot, I cannot start as late as 11 p.m. And, but you know, yeah, different schedules because he works, you got to, it's got to yeah. close, close down that bar, you know? And, mm-hmm. I think it's important too, if you can, is to get a sense of what type of life the person leads and what their, their life situation is like, you know, if, uh, if you've got five players and two of them are parents with young children, okay, kids are going to get sick suddenly out of nowhere. Kids are going to have projects due at school the next day that they put off that the parent has to stay and help with. The other parent is going to suddenly have to do something and they have to stay home with the kids. There's, you know, and that's all fine. That's all well, but you'd be be prepared if you're going to, you know, if, if those people are in your game that maybe you want to play a game where it's easy to swap characters in and out, where you're not worrying about an ongoing storyline. Everything can be kind of self-contained episodic so that if somebody has to miss, or even if two people have to miss um, because they have lives that um, cause that to happen more often, that are a little more chaotic, that you can, that you can handle that. So accommodate, you know, do what you can to accommodate that sort of a situation. If you're not interested in running a game that's going to be like that and you really want everybody to be there all the time, then it's, it's worth, again, setting the expectations and telling people up front and saying like, this is going to be an ongoing storyline. That's going to be really dense. It's going to weave stuff in and out. It's going to be hard for people to miss a game and, and, and have us catch you up um, or, or to justify like what happened to your character suddenly. <laughs> yeah. If you miss a session or two um, and just, you know, make sure that you, you find players that can, you know, accommodate that sort of a game um, or, you know, you know, go to the other direction and, and be more flexible on your end if that's what you're looking to, to run and you can swap people in and out. This isn't exactly, I mean, it's partially germane to what you just said, but uh, the that game that I, a game that I was, the game group that I was in for 11 and a half years or the, it was the host in that time has had multiple children, you know, and it was like, that was where the game was, was at, that person's house and so like yeah there's that changes the dynamic well well, right but it's also like uh hey i got got kid stuff to do game is canceled you know like can't argue you're the host you know um but we you were talking about swapping characters out the the phrase that we always used was like um your character didn't your character was always there they just had no game effect like you know you know, there's no like, obviously the player had to be caught up about what had happened, but like the characters were all traveling together and like, oh, well, you know, you made no meaningful impact on that fight because your character missed that session, you know, or, you know, would have been great if you were there and you could have convinced them, but your your character had no game effect. Yeah, you, know? you were sleeping in a car. <laughs> no, you Any of those sleep. things. You were in the cutscene, but you had no speaking parts. You know? <laughs> um, if, if, it, and if, uh, like if you're looking at a long-term game and you're bringing players in for that sort of thing, and if you know there's like a major, you know, significant 
shift that's going to take place in your life as the GM. That's going to affect everybody. Be aware of that. Like if you're uh, expecting a child or your spouse is expecting a child, like, or, 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 you know, you've got a little kid that's like, a, you know, is like they're, they're crib bound now, but in a year they're going to be wandering around. And in two years, they're going to be interrupting the game all the time. Like you just make sure players understand, like, you know, there's going to be a little kid here. Um, you know, maybe my spouse is going to be here and they're going to help kind of keep an eye on the kid and entertain them. So then, but we are going to just be, you know, tell, tell the players we're going to get interrupted every so often by, by a little kid. Cause little kids do that. Um, and make sure that the players are all like, okay, well, you know, we're, <laughs> we're not going to necessarily be able to play that really focused game. We're going to have to be able to roll with the punches. Um, you know, if you know that your job is one that occasionally has, you know, big crunch times and push times, that's going to mean that like, oh, all of a sudden for two or three weeks, I just can't run the game. Like, make sure the players are aware that like, we're going to play for three months every week, but then we're not going to play for a month. And then we're, I, and I want you all to come back. <laughs> so just, you know, be prepared, like, you know, like that, that, that they're okay with like, okay, well, I'll just, you know, go to do this thing or the other thing, or we'll get together over someplace else and play board games for, you know, without you for a month or, you know, whatever they're going to do, but make sure that the players are aware that your life situation is going to get weird occasionally, if that's the case. Yeah. Uh, for example, actors are really fun to role play with, but uh, they have these things called like rehearsals and shows <laughs> and then they have to like miss like those take place in primetime evening hours usually if you're in a community theater so uh yeah just gotta just gotta be aware of that when you're recruiting your players you gotta consider the human when i was in milwaukee and i um performed at the renaissance fair for six summers my gaming went kerblooey like i we would game occasionally on a weeknight but like basically gaming, you know, my, my whole gaming group, we just shut down for three months and only half of us were involved in the Renaissance Fair. So the other half went and did other summer things or they went and played like, you know, a short campaign with some other friends or went to board game nights or whatever. Um, but then we were all like, OK, and we're all back here <laughs> <laughs> second weekend in September. Right. Yeah. Ready for season two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, working in a Renaissance Fair, that's basically role playing. Oh, yeah. 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 For, like. 10 to seven every day, except when you're backstage. <laughs> uh, what about uh, our next topic? I think now's a good time to start thinking about your own games and, and getting people to play those. Sure. Well, as a GM, when you're, you're recruiting players, you're kind of pitching yourself and the game that you're going to run. But when you're you know, designing something, you are also going to kind of pitch yourself and pitch your game. And so we're going to talk a little bit about pitching your game. Um, there's a bunch of different audiences that you can pitch your game to. You can be pitching your game to players, which we've kind of covered. Yeah. Um, but we might, we might touch on that a little bit here too. Um, you pitch your game to collaborators. Like you're looking for freelancers or artists. You're finding people that are interested in contributing to your game in some way. And, and I think what most people think about when they think about pitching a game is pitching to publishers because you are not like just, Matthew or myself and don't want to self-publish, <laughs> you would rather just design the game and have somebody else publish. And so pitching that game to a publisher. And I think maybe, can we start, Matt, you were the one who kind of was like, this is, this is my wheelhouse because we've just started publishing um, some other folks games. So we, is it okay if we start with you? Sure. I mean, I, I again, I don't know that I have, I, I feel like I have some relevant experience here, but maybe not, you know, the most, but yeah, when I mean, there's so many levels. It's such a big topic, right? There's so many levels, right? Of like how to pitch a game, right? Because mm -hmm. you've got the famous elevator pitch, right? Can you explain in two sentences what your game is? You know, we've got our, you know, it's either going to be like, you know, it is this cultural thing that you recognize combined with this other pop culture thing that you recognize, except I smashed them together, right? That's a very common elevator pitch sort of thing where it's like if either of half of that equation sparks the hearer's interest and they're like "Ooh, i'm interested tell me more yeah and that's that's the core of the elevator pitch is to get them yeah. to ask you do you want them to get off the elevator with you exactly exactly you or, want them to ask the question and continue the conversation exactly, so exactly and and so like but then like you've got to have kind of like 
you know, you, it's like the, or it's like a hook, right? So that now you got them hooked, but like, now you got to reel them in. Like I hear that's the fishing metaphor, but anyway, <laughs> so, so, you know, like there's more work to do. You can't just have a great elevator pitch. Cause if you don't have any follow-up to like, is when someone says, Ooh, tell me more. And you're like, uh, well, it's kind of like, I hope it to be this way. It's like, no, no, you, you failed. You know, you've got to have that more detailed follow-up. Uh, and, and again, like, uh, I think it's important, especially if you're talking about a role-playing game, I think it's important to know kind of like the kind of stories that you're trying to tell or the feeling of the game and also the mechanics, because if you've designed a powered by the apocalypse game, like that's a kind of a known quantity that you can say it's a powered by the apocalypse game that does these culture, that does these tropes, right? You're like, okay, great. I, again, I, I understand both of those, right? Because I'm, uh, if you're pitching to someone who's in the industry, they're probably going to know what a fate game is and what a power by the apocalypse game is or what a D20 game is. Those are all systems that you can use. Uh, but then you may also say like, oh, I've designed a unique two, uh, 3D10 system where you're rolling for like simultaneously, you're rolling your uh, mind, body and spirit. And so like, you know, you have to resolve those three things simultaneously. And so you can fail or succeed on any of these three spectrums. And like, okay, that's different. Not seen that before. Tell me more, you know, like, and it, it doesn't really matter what you've designed or what design mechanics you've chosen, but you have to be able to explain them uh, and continue to draw the person in like that, that reeling it in sort of thing. Like, all right, Kaiju monsters, uh, except it's, I don't know, baby could be, it's, it's Kaiju monster nursery. Right? So there's, there's <laughs> right. Okay, so and then like so you got to reel them in, and it uses three d six. I'm I, this just off the dome, everybody. Uh, so then you use the, your three d ten system that I just invented. I don't know, and then like it, I, there's see now I'm I'm proving why you have to be better prepared than this because I'm just <laughs> making this up and I don't have anything else. So it's like you want to have a you want to have knowledge in depth and demonstrate your knowledge in depth to continue to interest the person who you are pitching to because if you know they ask you questions that you don't know the answer to and you, you answer enough of them with like, I don't know. I haven't thought about that. Or I don't know. I haven't thought about that. I don't know. I haven't thought about that. Yeah. You're not going to make that business proposition, you know, but if all of your answers are like, I tried that and it didn't work for this reason, or your answer is like, that's a great idea. I could, I should play test it that way, you know, because we, we focused on this other thing and you, you do, Part of what I'm leading to saying is that like you should pitch it, especially if you're in a point of like pitching it to publishers, you should have it pretty well. You shouldn't just know what you want to do. You should know how it works because you've done a lot of work already. Definitive language. Yeah. Um, you know, any, any subject, like you said, any subject that they bring up that you, like, I don't know is not a good answer. Not in a pitch meeting. Um, well, I mean, and you can you can be straightforward with them if if you're playtesting a few different variants. You can say, well, you know, like saying that you're well, we're, we're, we I got some playtesters doing it this way, and I got some playtesters doing it that, and that will be intriguing enough to the publisher because they know enough about games to have like, okay, well, like is one of those interests me? Do both of those interest me? Like, if it's either one of those, I'm happy. You made the comment about the, like the reeling in, like this is like how do you reel the person in? Like that's like three to five points maybe that are like definitive language of interesting aspects of the game that you can pull, you know, get them a little more interested each time. Like you get them with the nibble and now you want them to take a bigger bite and a bigger bite and a bigger bite until they've kind of follow, finally swallowed the whole hook. And so like what the mechanics are, um, what the, what the setting is like, or if it's like one of those game, a game where the, the players help develop the setting as you go, describe that. One thing that uh, I've run into a number of times is somebody pitching their game and they're, t they're giving me all of this great lore. Here's this world and I've, you know, and it's imaginative and there's really cool stuff and they never once tell me what the characters do. Mm. And I listen, you know, for three, four minutes of like this beautifully rendered world in their head. Clearly they thought about this great deal, but like, so, you know, are the characters paupers? Are they trying to help the downtrodden? Um, are they, you know, are they, are they up against the, the, the really interesting, uh, hierarchical structure that you've developed for the government in this, in this world? Are they off fighting these wars that you've talked about? You know, what are they doing? Like the, the, there's, there's kind of core conceits and I, I've returned to these quite a bit, which is like, what do the characters do? What is the world like? What are the game mechanics? Like, what is the player experience you're trying to, to develop? Like, you know, like, you know, D and D is 
can be played a lot of different ways, admittedly, but like at its core, it's kind of like you're going to play a character that starts off competent and but then grows to be this like incredibly powerful being um, and you're going to do epic, wonderful things by the time it's all it's, it's, it's very much about the growth into this like huge epic hero. And that's that's the player experience. It's like living vicariously, living that life vicariously. That's the player experience that you're that people are getting out of it, in addition mm -hmm. to other things that you can kind of meld into the game. So yeah, just kind of defining all of those things um, until you get them in. And then if you mention something and you you like this, this you can see with people too. Like they're you can you can read it in people's faces, and sometimes it's like they'll literally say. Um, positive things or, or say like, that's really cool. What else? Or, you know, what did you do with this? I'll ask another, you know, a follow-up question or something. But if they like suddenly on, on one topic, they suddenly like the light kind of goes out of their eyes or they don't ask a follow-up question or say, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like, don't keep, don't keep going down that road. Like that might yeah. be just, and it's not that what you've got is bad. It's just, that's not the thing that's going to entice them. Like that's a part of the game. That's like, oh, it's there. Okay, that's fine. But like, tell me this, you know, tell me the other cool thing that like everybody has their own, you know, preference for, preferences for what's like most important in a game or what's going to really hook them. I, I think what Matt said uh, at the beginning there, like knowing like the thematic elements, which we've talked about a lot on this podcast and, and knowing the stories that you could tell in the system that is like super important to nail down. And if you do get those people that are like, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, okay, like, please move on. Like, I don't want to hear about this anymore. That might be in part because you are so, not frenetic, but like spread out in your idea. Like really trying to nail it down and be precise about what your game is, is going to help with that pitch. If you're trying to do a lot of things you're never going to be able to first of all get that little hook it's going to be a huge hook and they're going to be trying to swallow an anchor and that's not going to work out you want to make sure that you have like what is the coolest thing about your game can you sum it up real quick and 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 build it from there like you have to have a real understanding of of what your game is and what your game does i always get worried about games when people describe a game that does everything Oh yeah. Like when they, yep. when they, when they hit on everything, it's like, well, and you can, you can take part in these wars and you can, you know, overthrow the government and you can um, rise up the social ladder and you can start a business and you can, you know, like you can do all these things. It's like, yeah. um, maybe, maybe the game has the capability of allowing all of that. Maybe there are subsets of rules for some of those things, but really like find the one or two things that are kind of what the game is mostly about and, and the things that are going to be most, the most interesting. Um, even if the system does support doing a lot of, side stuff something that i've been thinking about um in relation to this is like pitching your a lot of the things that we've already talked about like in in pitching your game are uh, like pitching to pitching to a publisher as a designer is is something that you know it, it, all of these things apply but you can also kind of think of it as pitching your game as a designer to a buyer like because i've done that standing at the booth and uh you know here's my game that i designed would you like to buy it passerby at the nerd convention and they're yeah. like well why should i and i'm like well because it's got this theme and they're like no i don't care I'm like okay well can't convince you but it's that that it's this it's a very similar process right of like here's the theme does that interest you and they stop walking and then you're like and it does this mechanically and they're like "Ooh, i like that and then they stop <laughs> And then you're like, and it also has these elements of it that you do as a player. And then they're like, oh, now I'm picking up the book and looking at it. You know, it's a similar process. And what I would say about all of this, because pitching in that way, pitching it to potential buyers has a lot of the same process as pitching it to buyers, like to publish it, you know. Or in Kickstarter or like what's sure. going to go on your itch page or what's going to be sure, in the exactly. summary of your DTRPG. It, it, it it works in a lot of different ways. And I think there's there, like, we've talked about, there's like kind of the, the high level elevator pitch style summary of the game, what it's focused on. There's the mechanics aspect. There's the player experience aspect. There's the thematic world building aspect. And each individual that you interact with may not want to know about those things in the same order. So, you know, when Jess mentioned earlier that like, you don't want to fly back and forth, 
Um, that's absolutely true. You don't want to fly back and forth and try to tell them everything at once. Tell them what they're interested in, and then they'll probably get around to asking you one of the other two things. If and then you'll probably eventually tell them all three things if, if you've divided it into mechanics, player experience, world building. You know, like what, however you divide the elements of the game. If somebody's really interested, you will probably tell them all all of those things, but it won't be the same order for every interested person. You know, some people you start with like, well, it's card based and it also uses D6s. And then other people are like, I've, I'm now talking about my game. Uh, you know, <laughs> it starts in World War One, and they're like, people are like, oh, World War One, And then they ask about the, the cards, you know, or people will start with like, I so see there's cards here. Does this game use cards? And like, yes, it uses cards. Let me tell you what you do with them. They're your mental sanity and you have to discard them and that's bad. You know, um, I don't know, just be prepared, I guess, to talk about each aspect and, and to change up your presentation style to accommodate the interest of your hearer because they'll probably get around to the thing that you like to talk about best eventually, but don't always lead with that because they may not be as interested in that. Yeah. Usually. Well, the, the whole reason why we made, like, why we did Moonpunk was because the first game Alex and I wanted to make we were like, um, we talked to somebody and they were like, you don't know how to pitch this game. You're trying to do too much. You need to, you need to stop and rewind. They're like, oh yeah, you're 100% right. Well, we try to say this out loud to people who aren't us. No one else cared. <laughs> it was just us at that moment. Moonpunk was so, so easy to pitch because it was a powered by the apocalypse game where you play right. punks fighting oppression on a dystopian moon. I mean, that, that, there you go. That's it, it, was, it was so, so easy. Um, and then you can get into like, like for a Powered by the Apocalypse game, what makes your game different than another PBTA? Really Tell easy to do. And, exactly. and that's a, that's a great thing too, is you can keep the, keep the pitch concise by there's, there's things that you will imply. There is explicit description and implicit description. When you say it's on the moon. You don't have to tell me that it's science fiction, that there's science fiction elements to it. There's some, they got up to, people got to the moon somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you can get into that eventually, but you don't have to, you know, dive into it right away. Like people will yeah, make Yeah, I don't have to tell you that it's a, it's a, it's a uh, prison colony where, where Earth dumped a bunch of uh, tax evaders and uh, all of that kind of fun stuff. No, I don't have to tell <laughs> political dissenters. Australia in order. Yeah, exactly. Speaking of the whole, uh, you're talking about cart that, you know, when you talk to people about the cards, at, when you're pitching to a buyer at a convention, um, and this can kind of apply to a Kickstarter page and how you put together like a Kickstarter page or crowdfunding thing or your, your own web store or whatever, is you can treat, treat it like a conversation. You're not just spewing information at them. You want to see what they react to, what mm-hmm. they ask questions about. Um, like one of the things I'll often do is like if you're at a convention, they express interest in a pick, particular game. If they don't pick the book up right away and they ask about it, I'll describe it and I'll offer them the book. I'll hand the book to them. And if they don't take it, never offer them a book again until they, you know, like are clearly like interested in purchasing. You don't want to be like shoving it in their face, but you offer them to to look at the book and they, if they take the book, then pay attention to what they look at. Do they look at the cover illustration? Um, Do they flip over the back and look at the blurb, you know, give them a second to read the blurb on the back. If they flip open uh, uh, the book and stop on, on uh, like a full page illustration, talk about the art. You know, talk about that particular piece and about the art in general. Uh, if they flip to the character sheet, tell them about something cool that characters do. Um, if you've got a cool anything, if there's anything cool about the character sheet, tell them what that means. Like if you've got um, like I'm going to speak to Matt's game. You've got the uh, um, like the moral compass. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which is like literally a compass, a circle with, you know, north, south, east, west. And there's like ways you, you track things on that. It has that has to do with your character's morality. Like that's an that's a that's an eye catching item on your character sheet that deserves like a real quick talk to. And like, it's, it's a little, it's a little punny because like, you know, it's like world war one game and people used compasses and they didn't have GPS and everything, but it's also like, Oh, this is like, this is how you handle, you know, and you can, you can relate it to alignment or whatever from D and you know, if, if you just mention, you know, mention that uh, or point out like, you know, if there's um, like, uh, well, for, for the uh, seekers of the Viber Nile, if people look at the character sheet, um, they'll notice that there's like different boxes in different colors. Um, and that's color coded on purpose. Those different boxes are color coded the same color as certain chapters in the book where that information is found. 
And so that's just like a neat thing to talk about. Like that's like, that's part of the, like to help them navigate the game. It was like the character stuff is in this box in this color and the character information is got headers in that same color. You know, if there's, if you've got like, you know, kind of a bizarre trait and skill, you know, like, in, like, you know, something that's a little out of the ordinary for trait and skill. And they look at it, look, like it gets like these trees that are like, there's a, you got a trait and there's a bunch of treat like lines that shoot up. And there's like literally a tree on your page with all these skills that branch out in different ways. Like talk to them about this, how that skill tree works. Cause it might be, you know, without, without reference, it might be kind of like weird and confusing, but if you describe it, they're gonna be like, Oh, okay. That's kind of neat. And that'll get them interested, you know, like, and then you can take, you know, another step and kind of like have that conversation. If you talk about character stuff, you like shift to then what the characters do and, you know, pay, pay attention to what the people are reacting to. Yeah. I, and I think w- what I want to say now, after hearing what you just said, Craig, is that, um, you know, I, I have no idea what your, if you even know what your listener base, like what level they are in the industry. Um, but, you know, everybody here has like done multiple games um and has so at least some experience in in refining all these things that you're talking about the colored the colored boxes on your character sheet like that may not be something that you think of as a new designer that is even maybe possible you know but like it it is you can do whatever you want it's your character sheet it it, it, you don't want to be gimmicky but like when you are building your designs if you're try to think of some of these things like could i do something that stands out that then i could point to as something that is unique about this game you know if you're trying to like you don't have to reinvent the wheel especially if you're using like an off-the-shelf kind of system you can't reinvent the wheel you've got to kind of work within the wheel because that's the point of you taking that system you know but you can do things to make your design a little bit different that way like color coding the character sheet that's a cool idea that like or doing the you know uh, you know something on the character sheet that is thematic to the material that makes it look a certain way that you know anything that you can do like that that will summarize and harmonize your design elements or your theme elements to prove that you thought about how those things go together um is a good is a good thing to do. Like look for those ways that you can do that in your design. You know, yeah, and look, and it goes to credibility when you are pitching. It's like, look, look at, look exactly. at all these things I've thought about. Yeah. Those are definitely things that like were, were someone to approach me like, Hey, we want you, which will never happen. I don't have money. So don't ask me to publish your game. Uh, I don't have money to do that. Uh, but if someone came up to me and said, we want you to publish this game. And then they showed me some of those little details. Like, here's what I've been thinking about. Like that would impress me as a game designer uh, in a way that I don't think would necessarily be as impressive or as important to someone who was only looking for a game that they could play with their friends or was only looking for, um, you know, like they're at Gen Con and they're walking around. They're just trying to get those Sunday deals. They might not, that might not matter to them as much as, hey, look at this badass art that I have. And look at this cool story you can tell about opening up like uh, uh, terrible things into your world because of this horrible thing that is the first, uh, the the great war. Um, We're just going to continue talking about your game, Matt. Um, (laughs) You know, I don't mind at all. I actually have a story like talking about that art piece. You know, we were, we, I, I was busy. I just came back from a con this past weekend and I was busy at the indie game developer booth, but I got a little bit of time to go over to the wedding games booth and sell my own games. And one of the interactions I had there, the guy had picked out two books and I was like, well, we're doing a con deal where like the third book is only is half price basically. And he's like, oh, well, which one would you recommend? And so I was like, uh, I don't know. Cause I only talked to you for like 20 seconds so far. So I don't really know you, but like, how do you react to this piece of art? And I like flipped open, it was on the back of one of the books. And he was like, well, that sold me, you know, <laughs> but if he, but if he'd had like the opposite reaction, he's like, no, I don't care for that. Then it's like, well, then this one instead, you know, but like it, it is a, I don't know. It's just, it's just what you were just talking about, Jess. Like you're trying, you, you're trying to guess what the, not necessarily guess, but like literally read what the person is interested in mm-hmm. and sell to them what they are going to find most interesting. So, you know, just have them look at the piece of art, like we were saying before, what's the cool thing? And and they might go with it, you know, but then, yeah, like some people are going to have a different, you know, like they're going to look at the character sheet because they want to know how the game really works on the inside rather than look at the art. Like you're going to meet 
both of those sorts of people, you know. Whereas like if you're pitching to a publisher, they want to know how is this going to make, how is this going to profit me in whatever way? How is this going to either expand my publishing company's audience or make us a little bit of money? Um, Is like, why are you choosing us? Or are you just, are you just like, what are you doing? Just fish. Are you fishing in every pond or did you come to us for a reason? And that is, that's that's a really great element because I mentioned con sales because they are there's a similar pitching process but yeah you mentioned like there's a different outcome you know like one is if you're if you've got a design that you're trying to shop around and get published it, you no, won't necessarily have art with it already you know that's where the resources of the publisher come in to get the art to go with your design yeah you may have a, a sheaf of printed pages with no art to impress anyone, you know? So yeah, it does change the dynamics and yeah, it is. I think um, in that respect, like knowing who you're, like you just said, Craig, like why, why me? Why pick this publisher? Like, you know, I came to you, if you're in that position where you are going, not necessarily with like, as the phrase goes, hat in hand, but like, you know, hey, you're cool design. And like, I would love to have my byline on next to your logo because I've been a fan of yours for years. You know, that's that's a reason to shop around to a certain publisher, but maybe they've published games that you like, or they've they've worked with designers before that you like, or you know, there could be any reasons why a number of reasons why you pick it. But yeah, you don't have to only pitch to people that you super are fans of, um, but it definitely changes how you can approach the 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 pitch meeting or the time that you have in front of a publisher if you know something about their other products, you know, if you can demonstrate that connection about like, you know, game line X, Y, you know, like, Oh, I got all those games. And this is, I think this is a follow-up or whatever, you know, like customize your pitch to the person you're pitching to include includes to the publisher and what their work is like. Yeah. And, and knowing what they're, you know, picking who you're going to p- pitch to bait and, and knowing what, like have, have be able to answer that question. Like, why are you pitching? Why are you pitching to me? Right. You got a D20 variant game. Don't take it to Magpie Games. <laughs> yeah. They don't do D20. They do a PBTA stuff and a few variants and kind of, you know, some other stuff that's, you know, kind of in, in that has uh, some connective tissue with those types of games. But they, you know, like I'll, I'll, I'll put it out there. You know, if you are ever going to pitch a game to me at Nerdburger Games and I am open to the idea. The, the take a look at what, what I publish, what I've designed. Um, my, you know, the Nerdburger brand is sort of weird little niche games that kind of make a, take a spin, uh, put a spin on a, on a genre that's not been seen much before, or maybe even at all. So if you've got a high fantasy game, there better be something really out of the ordinary about that high, high fantasy game. If it feels like every other high fantasy game, I guarantee you, I'm not going to be interested. And then you just learn that about whoever you're pitching to. Like there's just certain things that they do or don't do. And, and keep an eye when people are, when, when publishers are branching out, there are publishers out there that are like starting to do D20 stuff who had never done it before. That are suddenly starting to kind of the lure take of the advantage of D twenty. What <laughs> the lure of the solid gold D twenty? Like yeah, um, but yeah, it just if uh, you know, knowing what what your game is and who you're pitching to. Just real quick, I think a little bit on pitching to collaborators, Ooh, getting people yeah. interested in working and uh, offering to you know to do, to do work for you to freelance for you is setting kind of an expectation. I mean, ultimately you'll have a contract and you'll cover like everything that's going to be kind of part of your relationship, but you want to kind of set that up beforehand. And like, uh, are you going to have incredibly specific, like if you're looking for an artist, are you going, do you expect to have incredibly specific art orders or are they going to be very fast and loose? And you're looking for the artist to help you build the world and figure out what this, what this book is going to look like just aesthetically as well. Like you've got artists that work in different styles. Maybe they're going to look at the game and say, Oh, I think this style would work really well for that. Maybe you're looking to, to explore that with artists. If you're looking to collaborate, uh, like I just went through this with Code Warriors, which is a game about people, program people inside of a computer. Like I have no idea other than Tron. I don't know what that world looks like outside of like Tron and Lawnmower Man and a few other games, you know, a few other, few other movies like that. So 
I found an artist that I really liked their kind of how they draw and their palette and kind of colors they use and line work that they use. But then we sat down and did concepting and I, I approached for that and pitched the idea of, okay, this is going to be, you're going to do the whole book. If this, if we work this out, you're going to do the whole book and we're going to start with concepting. And I want you to help me invent what this world looks like um, and make that clear and, you know, kind of pitch, the, you know, and then, and then pitch what the game is all about and, and, and tell, and tell them how, what you're designing kind of fits their style and what you like about their style and how it's going to feed and kind of, you know, illustrate your world. Well, um, same thing goes for freelancers and editors is, you know, is, 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 uh, are, are you, are you expecting to give them a very loose outline to a freelancer? And they're going to be able to just go wild <laughs> with designing stuff within your world. Or are you going to give them a really tight outline and say, I need this, 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 and this. And, uh, you know, with editors, it's, you know, along, along the same lines, like, what are you, what are, uh, you know, making sure there's, there's three types of editing. We've talked about this before, kind of three, there's technically more, but developmental editing, which is figuring out how to put a game book together, copy editing, which is like grammar and punctuation and all that fun stuff. And then proofreading, which is finding all the little bits and pieces at the end to make sure that the layout looks good. And there's not little dangly bits um, called orphans and widows <laughs> on your pages. And, you know, just making sure that the editor knows what's going to be expected of them so they can quote an appropriate rate and nobody's going to be surprised all of a sudden <laughs> when they're being asked to do more or being asked to pay more, all that sort of stuff. Like, you know, uh, and, and, and why, you know, ask, you know, if, if you have something to say about why you're getting them involved in your game, because of like what the game is, if like, you know, like it's, uh, if you're, again, we're going to fall back on D20 stuff. If you're doing a D20 kind of D and D oriented thing, and you find people that have edited a whole bunch of D20 D and D stuff, they know how they know the format that that D20 stuff gets tends to use what monster stat blocks look like mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Tell them that's why, I, that's why I'm looking for you. Cause you've done a bunch of this and you're very good at, it. um, and I want that level of polish on my on my product. Yeah. I've, I've pitched to a lot of collaborators have been pitched to for a lot of collaboration. Um, and just like, it's, it's kind of silly to say, but like, you want to know what, what, what makes you special about this project? Why you in particular, because again, if, if they don't have a reason why it can, it raises a lot of eyebrows, like, okay, so who else are you asking to do this for you? You, do you just need a warm body? Do you just need someone to like, why, why me? That that's a really important thing. I think to nail down and, and be honest and open about that. Yeah. I got a call, uh, a, a message out of the blue, like a week ago from somebody that I knew in, in high school. And they're like, Hey, I, you do game stuff, right? Like my dad designed this game. And I'm like, I do, I haven't talked to you in 25 <laughs> years. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to talk. I don't really want to talk to his dad about the game that his dad designed. Like I, I, I really don't. I mean, I guess if he emails me at my business address, I'll entertain, you know, as if it was a cold call, but like, it's not like, it, it's just so weird. Like, yeah, it's just, Oh, you happen to know me. So I'm the first person you thought to ask, which is fine, I guess, but that's a very different relationship than like, Hey, I enjoyed your game and I want to work with you because of the outcome of whatever, you know, like, you know, it's, it's a different, it's a diff very different relationship. Yeah. So, right. The, the first, first thought is not always the best thought in that case. A while back, someone messaged Alex saying, Hey, you should do an NFT. <laughs> And Alex and Alex's head exploded. Yeah, he was not super nice to them in response. Um, yeah, it, it just, it don't you want to do enough research into um, a person and, and their products before asking them to 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 do something for you that is completely antithetical to their um, worldview? And that <laughs> that's that's maybe one quick, of the things. Quick, quick aside reminds me of the thing I've seen online a few times now where somebody did a uh i'm old enough to remember when sesame street wasn't trying to you know, like pump kids heads full of political messages and everything and like people are responding with stuff like you do you don't know anything about jim henson <laughs> do you like, first of all and second of all you don't know anything about how sesame street started which was specifically to find a way to uh, make television educational for preschool children in particular inner city um disadvantaged youth called sesame street hence hence the reason 
Sesame Street is filled with people of all races, creeds, and colors. Yeah. <laughs> Plus Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that's I've loved. I've seen it pop up like three or four times, and it just tickles me every time. Um, this is there's not even enough room to contain all of the similar stories about people who are mad about Captain America or people who are mad about Star Trek getting political. Yep. And like, did you read it in the '60s? Did you watch the original show? Did you not see the anti-fascist underlying or the, you know, civil rights commentary? Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, but also uh, just, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I'm just going to say that's a whole other podcast. We don't even need to get. Yeah, yeah. I got a, a note here, too, about um, when you're this is, a, this is a particularly useful, I think, to people who are just getting started. If you're looking to find collaborators for your first project. And if you are serious about this, if this is, if this is like, you know, you, you want to do this game, which is going to lead to another game where you're going to start a little side business. And especially if you're looking to get into game design full time, if they like, if this is not just like, Oh, I'm doing a fun little game on my, you know, on the side, if this is something you're serious about, make that clear to the collaborators who are involved in that. You are going to expect deadlines hit. You are going to expect them to work to spec and not go off the off the chart. You're going to expect communication to let you know if you're going to if they're if they're going to suddenly not be available, especially if you're asking for like a lot of word count or somebody to edit the entire thing themselves or an artist to do a large portion or all of the art. Make sure that's upfront. Like make sure that you like this is a like this is a paid gig and there's a I'm I'm shooting for a Kickstarter or a release or a pre pre-order or whatever it is at a certain time. Make sure that's that you yep. see that. Uh, and you, you make that very plain to people and that, that they see that. And also when it comes to collaborator stuff too, is that's, that's particularly important with uh, if you involve friends mm. um, or fans of previous work. I have involved fans of my games um, in giving them the opportunity to try writing something for a game. Um, because I find a person who like, they really love the game. They're a huge evangelist of it. They know it inside and out. They're clearly really excited about it and you know hired somebody to do you know shireen who has written for all three of the capers supplements um started with one said hey would you like to write a few thousand words for this and you know i made it clear that like this is like you know i've, I've done a couple games you you realize this is like a real business this is honest to goodness um you know and and she was incredibly professional and you know did everything that was asked of her and um, and provided some great stuff and surprised me in a bunch of ways. Um, and, you know, now this past year, we co-wrote a game together, you know, so like when you're dealing with, with friends and fans, like make it extra clear that this isn't just going to be, you know, unless that's what you're looking for, unless it's just going to be you and your buddy, you and your pal <laughs> are going to fiddle around with a game. <laughs> but if you're, but if, it, you know, if it's serious to you, if it's like, you know, make sure that everybody kind of has the same mindset for it. Yeah, I've, I, we also at Wedding Games have had people that are like, anytime you need me to write for you, like I've, I've learned your game and I've run it at cons and I'd love to write a little bit for it. And it's like, well, great. The next time we have a little opportunity, yeah, write an adventure. Our, the adventures or the missions for that game are like a couple thousand words. So they're like not big. So it's like, yeah, great. Mm -hmm. We'll pay you a, a writer's wage and write a bit. And, you know, if it, it's sort of, we're fortunate to be in a place where it's, it's not a major risk, right? Like, Oh, that adventure was mediocre. Then we won't work with you again, but like, it's usually been great. And then we work, we have a whole pool of people that like, you know, we have worked with and would work with again. Yeah. Who started as fans. Right. And some, yeah, many of them are like, yeah. Many of many. Well, Matt, Matt, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you for, for talking to this. Now, I have this great game I'd like to pitch to you. All right. <laughs> uh, I know that we haven't talked to each other in a while, but no. uh, where can we find you and your games? What do you have to pitch to us? I thought you were really going to have like a, a real spontaneous game here. Okay. Yeah. So my our, we are wedding games and we are on uh, the sucker book and the, the not sucker book, which is called Instagram. And then uh, we are also on, we have a website, weddinggames.com, where we have all of our products and uh, those you can go there to show shop and take you to drive through RPG, or you can just go to drive through RPG directly and buy all our games there. And you can hear the latest news on our Instagram and on Facebook. Awesome. Again, thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having me on.
Thank you. I can be found on Twitter at at Joska, um, or you can find my games at wannabegames.com or on HN Drive Through under the same thing, Wannabe Games. Uh, if you, when I said don't pitch your game to me to publish, <laughs> it's because I don't have the resources to publish it, but I'm, I'm 100% open to collaboration. I should clarify. And if you want to contact me or something like that, you can find me on Twitter or you can email me at, at Jess at wannabegames.com. I have nothing to pitch because my Kickstarter is over. Thank you. <laughs> um, and I not to let not to let the uh, our newest segment pass by too quickly. Um, Matt, the game, the uh, uh, baby kaiju game <laughs> with yeah, the yeah. new 3D10 system that you're designing in your head right now. I want to yeah, play I that play game. Play that because <laughs> <laughs> that's a thing on the on the show now. We we somebody comes up with something and we decide we want to play that or design it. <laughs> so, um, but I am also uh, on Twitter. I am at. <laughs> I am at Nerdburger Craig on Twitter. Uh, the website is nerdburgergames.com and you can find the games at drivethroughrpg.com. Secrets of the Vibrant Isle is out just in time for Christmas. So you can go off in the corner and play that game while you ignore it. I downloaded it, but I haven't played it yet. So, Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. I've played it several times now. Um, I would also like to give a thanks and a shout out to Steph Sachs, who's song avel is our opening and closing theme thank you steph Sachs. thank you creative commons license and thank you all for listening and we will see you back here next time bye, bye. bye.